Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome into the second episode of Former Fizz. I'm your host, Jaron May, and throughout this interview series, I'll be talking with former Orange Fizz staff writers about Syracuse sports from back when they were students on the Hill. My second guest called SU home from 2010 to 2014 and is back on the Fizz airwaves to share his stories today. Let me introduce Mr. Kevin Fitzgerald. Kevin, thanks so much for taking the time. Well, well, thanks for uh, inviting me back through the uh, the time capsule here to jump back on the Orange Fizz airwaves. Glad to be with you. I am happy to have you. And again, Kevin was a student at SU from 2010 to 2014. So that's the time frame that we're working with today on today's episode. Uh, you can also catch all of our episodes on our SoundCloud by searching Orange Fizz or on orangefizz.net. But Kevin, let's hop right into it and let's start with the basketball side of things. You were at SU during a pretty pivotal point for SU Athletics going from the Big East to the ACC. So my first question to you is, what was it like as a student on campus going from one really powerhouse of a conference for basketball in the Big East to then the ACC? That story dominated the Syracuse orbit, if you will, for several years. It was more than just... Uh, when the university made the move from the Big East to the ACC, there was months of of speculation that it was going to happen. And uh, the athletic director at the time, Daryl Gross, is is he leading Syracuse into the ACC? Is it another conference? Is Sy- I remember around that time, this was the most rampant addition, at least in, let's say, the last few decades or so, the last 25, 30 years of conference realignment. It was the wild, wild west, and there's there always hmm. seems to be the ripple of conference realignment, or at least that wild, wild west element to it every maybe 10 years, 20 years. And around that time when I was in school, it, it was hard to keep up with the national scene. There were schools that were joining conferences and then never actually played a game for any sport in that conference and switched to this conference. And these two teams are heading here. No, they're not. They're heading to the SEC. No, they're heading to the PAC 12, so on and so forth. So that just that entire, uh, just that entire era of realignment was honestly, and you know it, Jared, as a, as a student, when you're in school, you wonder what you're going to cover. Just being able to talk about, discuss, cover, follow that from a distance. And then of course, being at a school that was uh, about to realign with another conference as well. Uh, it definitely gave us quite a bit to, to discuss, whether it was on a radio show or, or to write about on Orange Fizz. So that was really neat. It's, it's funny. When you do look back at your time at Syracuse, you oftentimes uh, uh, think about what, what, how much did go on. You know, how much did we cover? And it's right. more than just covering games on a, on a week-to-week basis for football or on a you know bi-weekly basis for basketball i mean sometimes it's what it's what happens in and around campus and this was a huge one so there it felt like uh the uh, the the cover uh, the uh covering of this was years it really was so that was a big one i remember on, a, on another radio show getting daryl gross 
on one of my radio shows at Z89. I think we had him on a Fizz, uh, an Orange Fizz radio episode as well. But just being able to discuss conference realignment with the athletic director at Syracuse uh, or to uh, talk to players, incoming recruits about what that may do for their prospective commitments, if you will, to Syracuse. Uh, it, it added a lot to the conversation, but you're right on. That was the big one, and it was uh, it was always sometimes topic number one. And, and at that time, Darren, this was an interesting caveat. You know, I, I think the quote-unquote leaders in the clubhouse or the conferences that kind of felt the safest while things were shaking up, Big East from the basketball perspective was was crumbling. It, it was it was all over after 2013. That we all knew that, uh, and and the the football aspect would follow, but the the scope was kind of the Big Ten, the SEC were the stablest or steadiest of conferences. The Big Twelve was experiencing a lot of success at that time, and had West Virginia went from the Big East to the Big 12, the Pac-12, of course, expanded to 12 teams. So there was a time when the ACs, things looked a little shaky for the ACC. I remember uh, many, many were questioning, well, wait a second, is the ACC the right conference to be in? Of course, it, it proved that way. It's amazing how, how much the conversation and dialogue changes around certain things. But uh, Syracuse ended up moving into uh, the, uh, the, the perfect conference for SU, uh, but at the time, everything felt like it was up in the air, and you didn't really know where the chips were going to fall until they fell. Look at Boise State, for example. Check that. I think it was TCU. TCU actually joined the Big East and never played a game in the Big East. They, you know, mu- uh, uh, several months after, uh, you know, making it official on paper that it was going to join the Big East, of course said, we're going to backtrack, we're joining the Big 12. So that, to me, was almost the biggest illustration of just how much things were up in the air. Seems like a lot to cover. And you also were kind of blessed with some great basketball teams at Syracuse. Uh, Your sophomore year, you were a part of that magical run um, from 2011 to 2012 when Syracuse went 34-3. and Uh, They were ranked in the top five the entire year, including number one for six weeks of that year. So as a student and also as a student journalist, what was the feeling on campus when they rattled off the 20 straight wins to begin that season and then throughout the entire season just having such a sustained success? Honestly, we we probably uh, got spoiled with it because it was so, when you look back, it was so amazing. And yep, they they started my, my final year at Syracuse. That basketball team started 25 and 0. 25 and 0, like you said, they were ranked number one. I, I think you're right. That 2012 team was spectacular. Ohio State clipped them in the Elite Eight with uh, with big old Jared Sullinger. That 2012 team might have been the best team I think in that era of Syracuse basketball. The Big East was just absolutely loaded that year. 2012 was was phenomenal. The following year, Syracuse makes a run to the Final Four. Uh, if not for uh, a couple um, timely whistles for, uh, on, be, on, on Michigan's behalf, Syracuse might have been playing in a, in, a, in a championship game that year. And then that 2014 season started 25-0. and Now things, the wheels really fell off in the final weeks of that season, but it was really special. And that was kind of our team, my class, my, my senior class, my, my uh, you know, friends and I. 
we got to cover this team start 25 and 0, number one in the country. And Tyler Ennis was spectacular. He was a freshman that season uh, on that 2014 team. He he might have been. I don't know if I saw a single player have a better season in in my four years at Syracuse than Tyler Ennis had that year. He was terrific, and he turned pro and was drafted in the first round. The offense kind of fell apart down the the stretch of the season. But when you when you think about it, kind of that 09 to 2014, you can extend it a little bit, maybe even like 08 to to 2016 because Syracuse made another final four in 16. That's that's the winningest era of Syracuse basketball. Of course, they play more games now than they did 50 years ago, but that's the winningest era uh, in, of, of Syracuse basketball. And you still had Mike Hopkins on the recruiting trail. And, you know, they, they, they brought in some of the best players in program history during those five, six years. It was a special stretch. You're listening to former Fizz with Jaron May and former Fizz writer Kevin Fitzgerald. And Kevin, out of those three years you just talked about, 2012, 2013, and then your senior year of 2014, uh, like you illustrated, all of those teams were great. But if you could choose one of those three, which were you most confident would go the deepest when it came to March Madness time? I think it was the 2012 team. You know, in, in 2013, uh, of course, Syracuse reached the Final Four, um, but but it got it got hot at the right time. It really did. That 2012 team had the Dion Waiters. Uh, it had the Chris Josephs. It had Fab Mello, you know, the late Fab Mello, who was, who was terrific. One of my favorite players of all time, one of my all-time favorite Syracuse players, Scoop Jardine running the show. Uh, Brandon <laughs> Trish, I believe, was on that team. It, it was. It felt like a loaded roster. Raheem Christmas and Michael Carter Williams, of course. They they kind of came soon afterward, but it just like ten deep. That roster was was absolutely loaded, and so I think the the, the twenty twelve team had a really difficult path to a championship game. You know, ran into Ohio State, like I mentioned in the Elite Eight. And that was one of Syracuse had an, an amazing one of the one of the best basketball games I watched when I was in school was was the round before Syracuse and Wisconsin played this terrific basketball game. Syracuse outlasted the Badgers, but it was it was Ohio State that clipped them for a shot at, at the final four, uh, which I believe was in New Orleans that year. And Kentucky went on to, to win that season. I think the 2012 team was the best Um that, that I saw when I was a student at Syracuse. Uh, again, just loaded. It was a, it was a ten, I think that was that was really the last time Jim Beheim went with a true nine ten man rotation. In recent years, it, it's uh, you know you rarely see Jim going beyond seven players in a game, and that's due to all sorts of reasons. But that twelve team by Musicade as well, it was nine ten guys deep, and they were all playing. I mean that would that rotation was lethal yeah you said it i mean nowadays uh it's usually a six-man rotation maybe seven man uh but now of those great teams that you all that you got to witness as a student at syracuse there were a lot of great moments a lot of great games you've talked about a couple of them but i want to narrow down and i want to get to your 
favorite memory of Syracuse basketball when you were on campus, whether that be a play, uh, a stretch, or a, an individual yeah. game, whatever stands out to you? This one is easy for me. The final Big East tournament at okay. Madison Square Garden. The, you know, and I'm talking the, the, the original Big East, if you will. And, of course, there's a the second iteration of the Big East continues playing at Madison Square Garden every March. But we're talking the 16-team Big East, uh, the final game that was played uh, of that iteration of Big East basketball was Syracuse and Louisville in the title game back in 2013. And as, as you and I have discussed already at this point, Syracuse moves on to the ACC. So does Pitt, the conference. It's amazing how something so strong at the time, and, and it was like for a decade too, the Big East was the premier basketball conference in America and, and, and was for five to ten years. It really was. And it's amazing that it fell apart the way it did. It all came crashing down because of that era of conference realignment. But you mentioned the word stretch. Syracuse, and I don't believe it had the double buy. It may not even have had a buy. I, I referenced that 2013 getting uh, 2013 team a moment ago, right. getting hot at the right time. This was the spark. This was the ignition, and it happened at MSG. James Sutherland had the best week of basketball of his life. I pulled up this roster, you know, and and I forgot to mention Sutherland. I forgot to mention uh, CJ Fair. They were of course on that 2013 team. Sutherland had the best week of basketball of his life. He might have set a record, if I remember correctly, for most threes in a Big East tournament. But Syracuse grinds through a, a few really close, competitive, compelling games. I believe it beat Pittsburgh. It beat Georgetown in overtime in the semifinal. Uh, and, and it had uh, a, a huge lead over Louisville in the championship game. The Cardinals went on some amazing run. It ended up kind of smoking Syracuse in the, in the second half. But it looked like it felt like Syracuse was going to cap things, was going to kind of cap that era of Big East basketball off with a with a championship. Now Louisville ended up raising the banner, but that week of basketball was maybe the best uh, week of Syracuse hoops I had ever watched. Again, all the games were compelling. You had a guy like Sutherland going off. Uh, the the semifinal win against Georgetown is one of the I I don't think it's unreasonable to say that's one of the ten best. Syracuse basketball games in the program's history. If you were to if you were to pull the pundits like our uh, the the commander in chief of of Orange Fizz, Damon Amendolara, or the Brent Axes or the Bud Pollockins of the world, I think I think they would place that game up there as one of the best and most compelling games uh, that Syracuse has ever played in, uh, because of where it was, because of the significance, because of what Syracuse ended up doing the remainder of that year, advancing to a Final Four. Uh, that was a really special week in the Garden in New York City to close the book, uh, to to close the final chapter on the Big East. 
Absolutely. And again, you're listening to Former Fizz with Jaron May and Kevin Fitzgerald. Now, Kevin, last question before we switch over to football. Let's hit on one last basketball question. And I asked DA this in the first episode, and I'm going to ask every person that joins me on this interview series this same question because I'm interested. If you could put together a starting five of Syracuse basketball players that played while you were a student at Syracuse, who would be in that starting five? tell you what that's a great question <laughs> now so so da has got let's see who uh, da might have uh, maybe sherman douglas now i might be going a little too far he would probably have uh well he missed carmelo he i think my him. starting five i think my starting five might might be able to uh might, might be able to clip his let, let me start let, let me start in the backcourt here uh, I, I got to bring Mr. Heat Check himself, Dion Waiters. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put Dion Waiters in the backcourt. I want Tyler Ennis running the point. Okay. How about this? Give me a sixth man. I got Dion coming off the bench. I want Tyler Ennis running the point. I, I think I'm I think I'm sticking Brandon Trish back there. Okay. It's killing me to leave Scoop Jardine off of off the starting five cj fair probably plays the three okay uh i'm gonna go with rick jackson at the five and oh boy i i think uh, i think i'm i think i'm gonna throw chris joseph in there as well let me bring waiters and Jardine and Fab Mello off the bench. All right. Hey, I like how you just constructed an entire rotation right there. That was that was good. I, I like how you thought everything through. Um, all right, cool. Well, that's your starting eight. We'll, well, starting five plus three. Um, let's move on to the football side of things. Just like you saw the shift from the Big East to the ACC, you also saw a coaching change on the football side of things, Doug Marone to Scott Schaefer. Um, so what was public opinion like on campus about that change? I think it was positive. Here's the thing about Scott Schaefer. You know, he had been there as the defensive coordinator for a number of years. You know, he came on board when Marone got that job several years earlier. And if you were to look back at the strengths of Syracuse football, remember, because it went to three bowl games in a span of four years. And they went they went three and oh, you know, they won the pinstripe bowl a, a couple of seasons. They beat Minnesota in the Texas Bowl. They just barely missed out on a fourth bowl in what would have been in four years by, you know, one game, you know, had they had won one more game, I believe it was that 2011 season, it would have been four bowl games in, in four years. The strength though was the defense there's, there's no question about it. And Ryan Nassib had an outstanding 2012 season. The offense kind of um, morphed around Ryan to more of an aerial attack, but the defense was really strong. That was what Syracuse rested. It's, uh, you know, certainly uh, kind of was was able to fall back on during their their bowl uh, during those bowl seasons, and that was Schaefer's defense. I, he had a really good way of connecting with his players. I I do look at the Schaefer hire and think sometimes you categorize coaches as great coordinators. Sometimes they're not always terrific head coaches. And, you know, Scott sometimes clashed with the media. I don't know if he was ever totally comfortable with that, but he loved the fans. He was His passion was on his sleeve 
uh, every day, every moment. I know he really connected well with the fans, and the fans appreciated his passion. Um, you know, and I, I just don't know if Scott was ever terribly comfortable, maybe kind of being out of that booth. You know, he was a great coordinator and and loved the view from up top and connected so well with his players. You know, he took Syracuse to a bowl his first season, and things, you know, kind of trended downward the, the next few years. But it was, I remember it was met with positivity. And I remember that first press conference after he was named head coach and, and he nailed it. I mean, he rocked it. His passion was there and his energy was on display. There was no questioning that. So his, his and I think you got to remember his first year, he took a team that um, maybe, and, and with with kind of some quarterback concerns, Ryan Nassib had just graduated is Terrell Hunt the guy? Is it somebody else? Is it Drew Allen, this fifth year who transferred in from Oklahoma? And and I think Scott got the the most out of that team when it, it didn't look that way leading up to the season. And he led the team to a bowl, and they beat Minnesota in the Texas Bowl. So he, he really squeezed everything out of that roster and, and was able to squeeze out every drop of talent from that roster and and, and make a run. So that's that's often overlooked. That first year, uh, he, he led Syracuse to a, a bowl appearance and victory. Now, talking about that roster and a couple of the players, uh, from any four of years that you were on campus, who were some of them, who were some of the players that stood out to you um, and that stick in your mind as now an alumnus, but who were some of the guys that kind of stood out as the football stars when you were on campus? I mean, NASA was the quarterback, and he was a three-year starter. Every season progressed a bit more. And that his final season, which again, I believe it was 2012, he set all sorts of passing records, passing yards in a season, in a game, touchdowns, completions, attempts, so on and so forth. Uh, he, he really improved, but he was always... He was a leader on the field, but was very uh, reserved. He was kind of that blue collar. Uh, he was going to go to work every day and, and, and never let up. And I don't think there was a, a practice or a game where he wasn't giving 100% effort and grit and determination. And he and the offensive coordinator at the time, Nate Hackett, really meshed well. They just, that, that last year, they clicked. And, and then, you know, Ryan graduated and, and Coach Marone and Nate, they move on to the Bills. So they, they caught lightning in a bottle. They really did during that 2012 season. The other, I'll tell you what, and he just popped into my head here, but he was the man, and that was Shamarco Thomas. Okay. He <laughs> was a, just a ball of fury and energy on, on the football field, a safety who played in the NFL for a number of years. He was a, he was a starter with the Steelers, I believe, for a year or two. He was with the Steelers for a number of years. But he was that vocal, emotional, and and kind of righteous leader for not just the defense, but that entire team as well. Shamarco was 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 certainly a really affable, personable person, and had overcome some tragedies. And I believe he had lost his parents at a really young age, and, and he just never wasted a day, never wasted a moment. Uh, he was he was thankful and and grateful for every day. Uh, of stepping out out of that football field. But he was the man. I mean, he was the guy. He was the voice um, and, and was a great, great teammate. And, and, of course, he moves on and plays in the NFL. Those two really stand down. And you got the Jerome Smiths and the Prince Tyson Gullies and, you know, the great tailbacks. You've got 
you know, some great receivers. Alec Lemon was, was a great wide receiver. Uh, there were some really, uh, really talented players during that era of Syracuse football. All right, this is former Fizz with Jaron May and Kevin Fitzgerald. We're just about wrapping up here, but before we go, I have one more question for Kevin, and that is, Kevin, your most memorable game or the best game you watched or were a part of at Syracuse for Syracuse football when you were there from 2010 to 2014? You know, I referenced that bowl game. My senior year, this was, you know, we, we, we're lucky, Jaron, and you know it. We get to cover these games, whether we're calling them for WAER, whether we're covering them for Orange Fizz or the right. Daily Orange or Citrus TV and right. Z89 and so on and so forth. But that, just that, that kind of the culmination of, of the work that we had done, my classmates and I, for four years, and you know, we had a chance to call Syracuse football games, and, and that 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 2013 team, they were a couple games under 500, but they they rallied, they they won their last couple games to become bowl eligible, to get selected to participate in the Texas Bowl in, in Houston. So, <laughs> you know, we're looking at ourselves, going, we got a nice little trip to Houston here. At the time, it was still called Reliant Stadium, now Energy Stadium. But, you know, we're, we're there where the, where the Texans play. And, and this this just um, monolith of a, of a stadium, it was ginormous. And we're up in the press box calling Syracuse's win against Minnesota. But it was the entire experience. It was being there with, with uh, you know, with my colleagues like like uh, Ben Fontana and Gabe Altieri and everybody who, who was there covering the game. And, you know, there's – there's the press conferences leading up to it, and you know uh, we, we certainly had our fun when when we were uh, when we were out in Houston as well. We got to experience the city and, and some great places to eat and so on and so forth. But you know, and, and that's it. Th- th- those those things really stand out. I think you know, and I would liken that to my time at Orange Fizz as well. I think what really stands out are, are not just the games, but the times you get to spend with your close friends. And, and I still look back. I still. Uh, tell my, my good buddy Craig Hoffman, another Orange Fizz alum, I thank him for kind of pushing me to join Orange Fizz. I remember he said, "You got to reach out to DA if you want to write. You got to talk to uh, the the commander in chief of the mothership." And you know that's what it is. I think it's it's when you have great moments like that. You know, working with your colleagues during my time, whether it's Craig Hoffman or or AJ Cannell or or uh, you know Alex Klein at the time, uh, you look back at and. On, on these fond memories and realize you get, you know, it was a treat to do what we did and, and cover Syracuse athletics, uh, you know, during our time as students, because we're afforded those opportunities that not many others uh, receive. And uh, I think it's, it's up to us to take advantage of it. And I feel like we, we certainly do everybody, every class does year in and year out. And it's, uh, it certainly was uh, one of the best times of my life. No question. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for, number one, writing for Fizz down uh, in 2010 and 2014, helping me out now in 2020, and, of course, joining me and taking a trip down memory lane today. Jaron, enjoyed it, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. You guys can all follow Kevin on Twitter at Kevin T. Fitz. Uh, But that's all I have for the second episode of Former Fizz. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, You can follow along and listen to the previous and future episodes by either searching Orange Fizz on SoundCloud or finding it on our website, orangefizz.net. But for now, I'm Jaron May. Stay safe and healthy, everyone.